All right, today we will be reading from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell, like those who have been long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. The Lord bless this reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the whole counsel of Scripture. We thank you for passages uh, like this that speak to uh, just the hardness of situations and being under the, the, your hand of judgment, Lord. We thank you for these uh, words from Jeremiah, Lord. And we pray that you would uh, bless the, the exposition of them, Lord, by our brother, and that we would all have our hearts inclined to hear what you have to say through this passage, Lord. Uh, we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Welcome to the teaching hour. I'm filling in for Brother Tom, and he will be back up here next week. I'm a little bit jealous of Tom because he seems to make do with an outline on his iPad. I require a full manuscript and a podium to hold my laptop and something on which I can steady myself. So if you will, bear with me. That wasn't a very uplifting passage. The verse I want to focus on out of that passage is uh, verse 9. He has blocked my ways with a hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. Now, in Lamentations, and we're going to be looking at more of chapter 3 as we go along, but in Lamentations in general, Jeremiah is lamenting the downfall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. Here in chapter 3, interestingly enough, Jeremiah reflects on his own adversities as representative of what the Israelites had suffered. Now, the circumstances of his, his suffering or Israel's adversity is not really the focus of this message. However, what Jeremiah says here in verse 9, I believe is true under any circumstances and profound, provides a profound lesson for Christians facing adversity today. Now admittedly, Jerusalem was destroyed and Israel sent into captivity because of sin. Now some may think our personal trials and adversity are judgments for sin, but that's not always the case. It could be, but it's not normally the case. These are things which we as individuals must expect in our lives, especially as Christians. Why is that? Because God is in the process of sanctifying us, maturing us, teaching us, 
and conforming us to the image of his son. Nevertheless, adversity is something we also have trouble with. We don't understand why it happens to us. We question why God would allow these things. We often doubt his love and wisdom when he does. And we call on him to deliver us from our trials. And we often despair when he doesn't. Now, I can't personally contribute much real wisdom for you in dealing with adversity. I'm certainly not qualified by what trials I've particularly endured. There are many in this room and many in our body who have been through more trying circumstances and handled them better than I could. Yet, how we deal with the adversities in our Christian walk is a very real issue. And that, that's my subject for today. The scriptures have real wisdom for us in dealing with adversity. With the trials I've endured, I, I need to repeatedly go to God's word for help, <coughs> guidance, and refocusing. In fact, I'm assuming we all could be better prepared to honor our Heavenly Father as we endure the adversities now in our lives and as we encounter the ones that lie ahead because there are ones that lie ahead. My goal is simply to recall and reemphasize some old truths, biblical truths that are important for a proper perspective when we find that God has blocked our way with a hewn stone. But in order to deal with adversity, we must trust God. And there are three essential truths, I believe, which we must understand and believe about God if we are to trust him. Namely, he's completely sovereign. He is infinitely wise and he's perfect in his love. First, God is completely sovereign. If he is sovereign, really sovereign, then things don't just happen by chance or by fate. If he's not, if adversities just happen, there is little basis for trusting God, wouldn't you say? But if he is sovereign, then we can trust him even if we don't understand all the theological issues involved with the problem of pain and suffering. His sovereignty over all things and all events is a magnificent truth from Scripture. I'm reminded of a book that was popular a number of years ago. The title of it was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? You may remember it. It was written by a Jewish rabbi. I believe his name was Harold Kushner. He was well-intentioned in this book, and he maintains that God is indeed good. But his conclusion is, therefore, God is not sovereign. You see, his thought is, if God is really good, and yet still all these bad things are happening in the world, and for him, he says, to good people, then God can't be sovereign. He's right that God is good, but God is sovereign. Amen. Secondly, I would say that this sovereignty doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to be prudent and obedient to God. We're still accountable to God and will surely suffer consequences for foolish and sinful actions. 
yet he remains sovereignly in control of all situations. Next, if God is infinitely wise, then he makes perfect judgments with regard to us. He not only knows what we need, but when we need it and how to bring it about in our lives. The scripture says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He is infinitely wise. It's been said that it should fill us with joy that infinite wisdom directs every event, brings order out of confusion, light out of darkness, and to those who love God, he causes all things in whatever form to work for our good. Finally, in order to trust God, he must be perfect in his love. And he is perfect in his love. If we doubt his love, we lose confidence in his intentions for us. But if he is perfect in his love, we can trust in the knowledge that it is for our good. It's not easy to trust God in times of trial. No one enjoys pain. When it comes, we want it relieved as quickly as possible. But the scriptures also say we need to wait on God. Here in Lamentations chapter 3, looking down at uh, verse 26, it is good to wait patiently for deliverance from the Lord. Reminds me of Psalm 27. In verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The point is, we must view our adversity in the light of the character and purposes of our God and Father if we are to view it rightly. Now, looking again at Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah begins a prayer in verse 19. And in verse 21, if you look there, he remembers something that gives him hope. And that hope is expressed in verse, verses 22 and 23, familiar verses. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? So how are we to deal and view, deal with and view our adversities? I have a little book here that deals with handling adversity. It's a book by an old Scottish Puritan, Thomas Boston. The title is The Crook in the Lot. The Crook in the Lot. It's not about a used car salesman. Now, by the word lot, Boston is referring to one's portion in life. As, for example, when we sing, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. And by the word crook, he is referring to the adversity in one's lot or one's life. In fact, that'd be a good title for the message. The crook in the lot. He goes to Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to ask you to turn there. He goes to Ecclesiastes 
chapter 7, verse 13 for the theme of his book. And there we read, Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has made crooked? This sounds kind of like our verse, our verse in Lamentations 3.9 where we read, He has made my paths crooked. Now his main point in this book is that a correct view of our afflictions is absolutely necessary for Christians to rightly honor God in them. And that, and that view can only be found in the Word of God. Our human senses and reasoning cannot discern it. Boston goes on to base his book on three compelling propositions. First, whatsoever crook there is in one's lot, it is of God's making. Looking at our Lamentations verse, he has blocked my way. He has made my ways crooked. God is sovereign and in control. Our adversities come to us ultimately from the hand of God. Secondly, Boston says, what crook God makes in our lot, we shall not be able to straighten. It becomes personal in our Lamentations verse, he has blocked my ways. He has made my paths crooked. We thought we were going straight through this part of our life and then wham, we run into a stone blocking our way. God has a detour planned for us. Our path has been made crooked by virtue of the stone. We have a crook in our lot. We're going to experience some things we didn't plan on. And when we meet this adversity, we should attempt to deal with it as God would have us deal with it, knowing that he has determined that we need this and we can't avoid it. Praise God. Thirdly, Boston says, his third proposition, recognizing the crook in the lot as the work of God is the proper means to bring one to behave rightly under it. He has blocked my way with a hewn stone. The fact that the stone is hewn indicates that it has been specifically chiseled and fashioned. Now, I think some translations say block my way with a stone wall. If they don't bring out the point that this was hewn stone that was specifically chiseled and fashioned, they've missed the point of the verse. It's not a random stone. And in our case, it's not a random adversity. Our Father has placed a hewn stone in our path. It has been designed and fashioned by your heavenly Father, especially for you. What a humbling thought.
So we've said that in order to rightly deal with adversity, we must trust our sovereign, wise, and loving God, and we must view our adversity with a biblical perspective. As part of that perspective, as I've said, we must realize and remember that ultimately it is God who gives that adversity. Now, we don't seek out adversity just so we can develop a deeper relationship with God. Rather, God, through adversity, draws us into a deeper relationship with Him. I'm going to, I'm going to look at a few verses uh, as I continue here. You don't really have to turn to them. You may want to jot down the verse uh, number to look at it later if you'd rather. But let's look at a few. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now this God, who is the God of deafness, muteness, and blindness, is also the God of arthritis, Down syndrome, cancer, and all other afflictions that come to us or our loved ones. None of these afflictions just happen. They're all within the sovereign will of God. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Again, back in Lamentations chapter 3, looking on down further to verse 38, I like how the NIV puts it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamity and good things come? Remember Job's words to his wife in chapter 2, verse 10? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Yes, we must accept the trouble. In this life, however, trouble does not come haphazardly. But that's the way the world sees it. Trouble comes haphazardly. And that's why they find no comfort. How can they find comfort when they believe bad things just happen and God has nothing to do with it? From our limited vantage point, our lives are marked by an endless series of contingencies. We frequently find ourselves, instead of proceeding as we planned, reacting to an unexpected turn of events. We make plans but are often forced to change those plans. But there are no contingencies with God. Our unexpected forced change of plans is part of his plan. I was reminded of the book of James in chapter 4, verse 13 and following where he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow will I go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit? Yet, he says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. And then I love this. You are just a vapor 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you must say, or you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, there's nothing wrong with making plans. Remember in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul planned to go to Spain for the sake of the gospel. He never made it. We must realize that our plans are subject to the will of God, and Paul certainly was aware of that. God is never surprised, never caught off guard, never frustrated by unexpected developments. Psalm 135.6, God does as he pleases. And that which pleases him is always for his glory and surprisingly enough, our good, according to Romans 8.28. So why, why adversity? What is the purpose of our adversity? I'm going to address this in three points. First, the adversity that God brings into our lives is, as I've said, for our own good. This is clear in Scripture, and we'll look at just a few verses. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In the New Testament, John 15, verse 2. Every branch that bears fruit... He prunes it that it might bear more fruit. You know, sometimes adversity is just God's pruning shears. In Hebrews 12.10, God disciplines us, and I would say through adversity, for our good that we may share his holiness. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It was interesting for me to read that the great reformer Martin Luther once said, were it not for tribulation, I would not understand the scriptures. I would venture to say that most godly characteristic character traits, godly characteristics, are only developed through adversity. Secondly, I would say that God gives us adversity to perfect us. And here, the Lord Jesus is a great example. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, we are told it was fitting for him, that is Christ, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. God perfected the Lord Jesus through sufferings in bringing many sons to glory. And how's that an example for us? Well, we're being conformed to his image. That's called sanctification. Just as Jesus was perfected through suffering, we are being conformed through suffering. And thirdly, 
The reason God gives adversity is so that we can better minister to others. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did he say the word comfort enough? <laughs> so those are the three reasons I see for our adversity. Now our response. Our response to adversity should be to honor and glorify God by trusting him. We honor him by trusting him and acting accordingly even when we don't understand what he's doing or why he has allowed some trial to occur. The famous uh, verse in Proverbs 3, we're told to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. It's given like a command. Trusting God is not a matter of my feeling, but rather my will. I never feel like trusting God when adversity strikes. But by his grace, I can, ju can choose to do so even when I don't feel like it. According to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we are to exult in the hope of his glory and exult in our tribulations. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 2, we are told to consider it all joy. Now 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says we are to give thanks to God in everything. You know that verse. I can understand that verse. But according to Ephesians 5 verse 20 we are told to give thanks to God for everything. Huh. That's a little harder to swallow. <laughs> Suppose Jesus Christ came to you with a gift wrapped in grace and mercy, sealed with a bow of love. He extends his hands with the gift saying, this is from me to you. Now, Satan leans up from behind and says, don't take that. You don't know what's in there. It could be some great adversity. What do you do? Would you take it? <laughs> Should you take it? Could you take it and be thankful for it, no matter what it was? The extent to which we cannot be thankful for everything that he gives us is an indication perhaps of the extent to which we still fail to see God as he is. Maybe we are too preoccupied with this world. I know that's my tendency. 
But I'm not suggesting that our response to adversity is to be some stoic, keep a stiff upper lip, grin and bear it type of response. It can be an emotional response where we hold each other in our arms and weep together. But they should not be tears of despair. We can have tears of pain, tears of repentance, tears of sympathy, just as we can have tears of joy. But the point is, we honor God and bring glory to Him when we trust Him in our tribulations. Finally, let me just ask, do you desire to be consoled and comforted in your adversity? It has been said that nothing can be more consoling to the people of God than the conviction that the Lord who made the world governs the world and that every event, great and small, prosperous and adverse, is under the absolute disposal of him who doth all things well and who regulates all things for the good of his people. These are not new truths. These are old truths. We need to make them our truths, personally, and we shall have our consolation. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your sovereignty, wisdom, and love. You are indeed the God of all comfort. And you are working all things for our good, even the adversities you bring into our lives. We too often stay focused on the things of this world rather than the glory that lies before us in Christ Jesus. May your Holy Spirit strengthen us, encourage us, give us endurance, and draw us closer to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.